0: again I find myself tromping along a trail telling a story. And while I do remember the events I recount in this story, I do not remember recording them. I suppose it's a message to a future self knowing that one day I would be in a dim cool room with an opportunity to recollect to myself and to share this with you. Indeed sharing with others is a powerful it's a powerful drug. It's almost like generativity although that would suggest I'm doing something to benefit you which is a little bit presumptuous on my part but I do thank you for indulging me. Now I will also beg forgiveness from those of whom I mentioned by their real names. In this story my intent is not to disparage you in any way and Also, I do suppose the statute of limitations for such minor domestic transgressions is long over. So shall we then? You'd best lace up your boots. And do try to stay up. There's no surprise to it. But London in October is miserable. Great sleep rain, dour faces, frumpy coats... Miserable streets, sadness, and also no surprise, London's fucking expensive, man. I mean, I only had the money scraped together selling chestnuts in the Rhine Flats in wrote from the kinligwit from kid. Kindle- King- selling the chestnuts, the castanians gathered in the forest behind crazy King Ludwig II's castle there in Rolte under Rithberg. Me and that's giant dog, Bongo, and sometimes Buddy Trauben would gallivant through the woods. And by gallivant, I mean s- slowly walk, the giant leaves crunching underfoot, seeing the oaks and the different, this trees gnarled and different than any would see in the rainforest of Canada, where it's Douglas firs and cedars and towering pines. There, oaks and chestnuts. Chestnuts large and thorny. can barely pick them up. you got to be gentle, right? And then you break them open with your foot. You kind of crunch them with your foot, and they open up, and they kind of open up like this, the hemispheres. And inside, this glorious nut. Satchel them up. Put them in a bag take them down to the wine press down in the little town across from the Weingut where the trucks come in and out, bringing the grapes to the press. Sit there by the old historic press. There's a plaque. In German it says something about when it was made and that it is a wine press. This is all I can be sure of. The sign said two marks for a pound, four marks for a kilo. Doesn't seem right, but that's what the German friend told me, it don't seem to get as good a deal. Yes, there is an upgrade. A kilo is 2.2 pounds. The Deutschmarks, I make a sign, Castanian. they help me with the writing the numbers, the way they would do it, the way they do it. The ones, the fives, the marks. I only had the money from that, and then getting on with Uwe's Trauben crew. See, Buddy Trevor, he got on with the crew, along with the New Zealander, Where from sunup to sundown. The man was surly, would feed them bread, and give them leftover wine to bring home. My crew started late. Each row was picked, and bottles were opened. Schnapps on the cold days wine on the other days, sometimes mixed with sparkling water when refreshment was needed. And everyone on the crew, the Yugoslavian brothers who left for the war to become on whichever side they were with their big smiles, were they Croatians, were they Bosnians, were they Serbs, I don't fucking know, but they were my brethren out in the field. The local girl, Cassie, who getting a welfare check and living at home and just was a punk rocker just wanting to make a little bit extra money the other long haired slacker boy the same thing who would bring the Jim Morrison books of poems the grumpy old East German man the Polish lady and a few other scattereds our crew worked slow laughed often and I flipped cassette tapes with an auto rewinder and would loop through the same albums Fire hose raging full on, with Mike Watts thundering bass and his post minute men rage with the quirky songwriting of Ed from Ohio and the unique and powerful and eclectic drumming of George Hurley. Mickey Hart's Planet Drum, all drums, all drums, Velvet Underground. Oh Call Her Alaska Stephanie says, oh, Stephanie, what do you say? The people ask her. It's all in her mind. Pavement, slanted and enchanted. Heralding something all new, different. On a sonic youth, dirty. Oh, the melody, the fuzz, the earnestness, the the weirdness, something was happening in music.
1: Guarding your ability to lead them Lieutenant, there is time pertaining to rotation of the problem, describe this. le
0: they just paid at the end of the great picking season and each day I'd go to work and think is this the day the Germans will come and say papers, show me your papers because I ain't got no papers are they ripping me off? the castanian chestnut money gave me enough for a few beers pick food from fields throw it in my walk and sit over a fire sleep in hayloft and finally we left a whole tribe of local friends who'd made, decided to accompany us to Amsterdam. We broke into Paris hitchhiking. I ended up with Jason, the New Zealander, rather than the cute girl, Marin that I'd been holding hands and cuddling with and just dying to kiss all over her face and stroke her blonde hair. But before I could make the move, another friend were snaked up by probably some lecherous creep and all rendezvous but then a decision to go from Amsterdam aboard a bus to a port in Belgium that would then take us to England seemed like a good idea at the time and once in London I cannot figure out why on earth this was a good idea Forward momentum is a vicious mistress. You want to just keep moving forward, forward, forward. If you stall, you have to figure out a plan. You can distract yourself if you're in forward motion. But this is your adrenaline and your charm because your antenna are all, always up and you're always trying to make, meet that next person and build that next relationship that's going to be that next place to sleep or that next piece of food. Or else you just figure out how to do it so cheap. But then you're flying so into the underground that you are basically or nomadic hermit. While you see others of your kind and other people exploring. Living on the largesse and the fatness of the foreign exchange student tour group budget. Minimal by most people's standards. But I was living on minimal marks per day to buy bread. The wine was free, bottles and bottles a night for my kind employer who took sympathy on a man staying in the hayloft so far from home. The handy thing about the hayloft is you could just walk to the other end of the hayloft and pee in the straw and know that it would be soaked up comfortably. This is an uncalled for annotation. So London, hold up with another Kiwi couple, me and Trauben were, that I'd met, crashed out in their awning in Munich at a campground during Oktoberfest. See, at this campground, they wouldn't let, let you stay there unless you had a tent because they couldn't put a marker on something and the Germans would not budge on this policy and I had no tent, I only had a sleeping bag. So I had to meet someone and say, hey man, can I pretend I'm staying in your tent um, so I can share a plot of land or something? And I was crashing on these people's awning and they befriended me and made me their, their cohort and I talked to them about New Zealand bands and charmed my way into their good graces of some kind. Thank you, Grandpa. Turns out they lived in London, called them up. They asked us for three or five pounds a day. Some nominal fee to stay there, but even this was like, oh my God, how are we going to come up with this money? Trevor had a few bucks, but I had a a credit card that maybe could still be pushed through somewhere without them checking. After a few misadventures, which I'll get to another time, good fortune struck us. Unfortunately for the people of southern Florida, the misfortune was catastrophic as Hurricane Andrew barged up against them. And wiped out the environs of some kind we didn 't see TV we didn 't see news of this. It was irrelevant to us. All we saw was London to Miami on Virgin Atlantic for eighty eighty four pounds, about one hundred and sixty dollars Canadian at that time, or something something. The money was irrelevant. This was chump change, and we could sneak this through on the credit card because under 300 pounds or 200 pounds, they're probably not even going to make the phone call. We go into the travel agency, we finagle some tickets, we're flying out the next morning. What the fuck do we do in Miami? Well, while at a community college in a wretched Utah suburb, I took a creative writing class for the first time that I had heard of such a thing that there would be a class for creative writing. And in there, there was a dude who was a fair bit older than this this 17-year-old that I was, with red hair and a surly, acerbic attitude and clear intelligence he read out his story from that assignment and said fucking it, my, that's alright man I should get to know this guy I I sent a message through a phone call to Nick I had a phone, a notebook with just filled with phone numbers I glued in pasted in and scraps and papers all done together with a rubber band and I spent credit card on a phone call that lasted about 45 seconds to say, hey, we might be doing this if we did. I never called him back to tell him that we were doing it because I wasn't really sure if this was a good idea.
2: This is a song about a trip that I took down to Florida one time. I went down, I went down there with my supposed best friend and girlfriend, right? So, we had this Delta 88 that we were driving down for some old woman that lived in Fort Lauderdale. And by the time we got to North Carolina, my best friend and my girlfriend we were in the back seat of the car making out, right? Now... At the time, I was into, uh... The collective non-existent of love, and, uh... And I just thought, well, that's great then, right? And I, and I thought I could be strong, but... No, ladies and gentlemen, I couldn't handle it. I started freaking out. And so we got down to Florida, and there was one night that I was watching them screw on the beach. And that was okay. You know, that wasn't so bad. And then we went back to my mother's trailer home, and they were sort of covered in tar from the beach, right? You know our beaches in North America. Well, I guess you don't out here, aren't But anyways... Ha <laughs> ha so i get home and so they go into the shower right and they start screwing in the shower the next day the next day i I went into the shower and there's like tar and feet stains and everything all over the place in the shower and i had to clean it all up there with my tears and my six pack ladies and gentlemen I remember Florida, the land of endless malls. Images of Elvis, Flicks, convertibles, and blonds. I remember Nat King Cole singing a song. Of the rain. Yeah, I'm feeling blue again. I remember. All my quarters in a jukebox, big silver star, and I remember Nat King Cole singing a song about the rain. Everybody now. It was just... We took a spin to that tin can by the sea. Tell us the story thought she was mine.
0: He shows up at the airport to pick us up. And Nick had gone to go to law school. Left Utah ceremoniously and moved to Key Biscayne. outside of Miami, and some glorious split, spit of land that had just been devastated. The wreckage from the hurricane was evident everywhere with down palm fronds and naked trees and wrecked buildings and blown out fronts of buildings, buildings boarded up, buildings collapsed. He dropped out of law school after like three weeks. He was still technically enrolled, and his wife was supporting them by working as a... She had been working as a nurse for attending to Early babies in Utah, but was now working as an emergency room nurse uh, dealing with crackheads with bullet wounds and was not enjoying it. The situation was tough. We arrived and I could see the tension right away. But Teresa sadly had to immediately leave to a funeral, uh, and Nick was left with us with the clear mission that we wouldn't be there when she got back. Nick had little discretionary income. But what he had, he tried to be a big shot with us. His gestures were appreciated, but we were clearly all in a tough shape, in tough shape. We loaded up and what drive done to uh, down through the Keys all the way to Key West. We spent a night in a motel. The three of us unsuccessfully tried to pick up girls at a rundown bar because we're way out somewhere, nowhere. The whole thing was poignantly sad. And it was the night Bill Clinton was elected. I noticed it on the TV. Nick was going to be a writer. He always said he'd be a writer, and he could have been a writer. I mean, in that, the things I read were good. However, he just couldn't bring himself to produce. He dabbled in all sorts of different forms trying to write these high drama crime things which he thought he could just sell and make his money writing real art. A ridiculous proposition. I was reading Zorba the Greek. I told him to write Zorba the Greek, but not in ancient Greece. He told me of his desires for other women and thought he would place that into erotic novels. Oh, good God. Pick one. Before the Key West foray with conch shells and beach lounges and nursing drinks and trying to soak up an experience with none of us knowing what was next in our lives we went to the Hare Krishna temple I go to Hare Krishna temples everywhere I can went to one in London went to one in Miami this one in Miami was not a lot of fun the Krishnas are a welcoming bunch I know think all the folks in the airport or the marches or that's what I always heard anyway. Or are they going to put drugs in your food? I'm like, well, that's cool with me. They never did. Lots of sugar. No garlic, no onions, no mushrooms, no meat. Christian doesn't like these things. They are aphrodisiacs. Sex, only one required for procreation, is the reason number, is one of the many reasons I would not become a Hare Krishna. But I like their food and I like their fellowship. In Miami, though, they lined us up like prisoners getting their slop they made us sit through a didactic lecture. It wasn't like the dancing and the fun and the free form and the the devotees serving us like it was in London. But we met two friends, and these two friends had weed. They became our co-conspirators and erstwhile hosts in Miami. But in Miami, everything was bad. And we didn't know how to get out. But we had to go somewhere, because... We couldn't stay there anymore. I ran up Nick's phone bill. Sorry. Making calls to old friends in Rhode Island. Hey, remember you told me about some friends that you knew in Florida that have a big farm somewhere that like, are back to the land and they're like making a community? It's intentional community? Oh, yeah, I just can't remember. Oh, shit. What do we know? Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, anyone know anyone? We ain't got nothing to get nowhere. Halloween, we stayed out all night sleeping on South Beach. Late night forays with our amigos, one studying to be a recording tech. The other never really figured out what he was doing between bartending gigs. The city was trashed and buildings were busted up. and two skinny canadian white boys with long blond hair stood out immensely we did not belong but we found cuban sandwiches and cuban coffees and wandered the streets a hostel had a job opening i had a us passport i could make enough and we figured out a barge carrying garbage to new york or something to protest waste was going to be coming into port. Maybe we could get on board as sovin- as volunteers. It sounds horrible. But it is forward momentum. Do we dare hitchhike through Florida? Sounds like a terrible idea. After just about. Getting shot up three times. On a hitchhike from South Carolina to Rhode Island. Along the I-95 in November. That's a bad idea. We discovered the. Cheesy bars had alcoholic slurping machines, slushy machines, in a variety of different flavors. And you could nurse one for hours, sitting on the beach just waiting for something to happen. Then I came up with an idea. i had done these drive-away cars before where you deliver a car from one place to another. You pay gas, and you sign some forms, you give them a deposit... And away you go. So I start looking for these places. I start calling. They all want ridiculous deposits. But I find one that sounds a little low end. I'll let us take a car if we can give them 150 bucks or 300 bucks, And we pay for the gas and we take it to Dallas. Problem is we got strange Canadian ID. But we go ahead and we got no cash. So we're going to try anyway. It looks like a set from an early 70s cop drama. All smoky wood. Blinds turned to block out glaring light. A bunch of guys wisecracking behind the desk. Old machinery and equipment. Typewriters. Cash registers. Long analog buttons. The wrinkled-faced old Jewish man behind the desk starts right into us. Grilling us, trying to figure out who we are and what kind of scam we're running. We don't fit in. In Miami. It is time for us to leave. We put on... We make our story as simple as possible. We're students. We've been on a study exchange and... If you just say you're roaming, they'll never give you the car. Oh no, we got to get back to start school. Parents are expecting us us the car. Give us the car. We get the car. Borrowing money from Nick on a bad check. We promise we'll send it right back as soon as we get to Dallas. We got a couple bucks for gas through the Canadian $100 bill that was in my shoe through the entire Europe trip. A soggy, flaccid, stinking Canadian bill that any bank was loath to accept but it netted me $62 US. This will get us started with gas and beer. It was the most money we'd seen in a long time. The car was a Mazda sedan with various, with the following characteristics battered metallic dark blue purplish paint that sort of shifted, changed colors from the angle that you looked at it Homemade, done, complete, deep purple tinting on the rear windows and back window and on the front side windows. Dark tinting through three quarters of the windshield. Said tinting, peeling, fading, bubbling, cracking, etc. Back seats that folded down to give access directly to the trunk. Uh, Velour seats ashtrays filled with cigarette butts. We set out at night onto Alligator Alley in these circumstances. It occurs to me that there's probably parts of this story that continue on. Maybe there were other hikes in which I recounted the part in between and the part after. The short version is <laughs> the drive car but well, we survived. But it was very dangerous. We were pulled over by the police three times, including on aforementioned Alligator Alley in the middle of the night and hauled out of the car shirtless while our car was ransacked and searched by what seemed to be all the police in the county. They did not take kindly to us. Uh, and then dropping off the car in Dallas to uh, who was someone who was clearly expected the car to be delivered with a trunk full of cocaine. He was persuaded to return our $300 deposit so we could make good with Nick and give us a ride to the bus terminal where we finagled a two-for-one greyhound ticket off of some crankster. A month later, I was in Japan working as a mushroom farmer. So there you have it. I guess I ruined all the surprise, but maybe the story will come about another time anywho. Uh, by the way, that was music by Firehose recorded in Belgium in 1991, which is coincidentally around the same time as this story. And then Blue Rodeo playing Florida recorded in Saskatoon, oddly enough, the place I was born. And again, I gratefully accept your indulgences. Fondly, comma, Dave.
1: Born of the days we stopped to